Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West. So I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units. And then we did a podcast about it. Loose Units Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that Dad did more than just patrol the streets. He plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff. Actually, things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of Loose Units, officially called Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. I can't adequately express just how excited I am to be back in the studio. And with me, as always, is my dad, John Verhoeven. How do you do, Paul? I, that well, was that very, sounds weird, isn't it? very formal, Jesus. Hi to all the incredible listeners out there who've been incredibly, amazingly supportive. Yeah, this show has and really taken off. the numbers are staggering. So obviously this season is going to deal with forensics. Now, just to clue you all in a little bit, for those of you who don't know, um, Dad was a cop in the 80s uh, in Sydney, and he was exposed to some really horrific stuff. And I wrote a book about it called Loose Units, and then Dad and I realised there's a whole bunch of cases that were too contentious and too weird to put in the book, so... So we did Loose Units, the podcast, and because of all of you listeners, the podcast kind of skyrocketed into something approaching just nuclear great awesome. So season two is the forensics years. Now it's going to be bigger than the last season. It's going to be, I would say, uh, more intense than the last season. Um, mm. We won't be putting trigger warnings on every episode, but sometimes we will have to do that. Um, we, I think we briefly touched on the forensic stuff last season. Like mm. we just, just dipped in a little bit. In fact, um, you and I appeared on Michelle Laurie's Australian True Crime podcast, and you told a story from the forensics years. So technically speaking, people's first taste of loose units was the forensics years. Mm. So uh, are you excited to be back in the studio? I'm extremely excited. The, these are the actual... No, no. You why, why are you laughing? Because you, you, Dad's a little sedate. On, from an from an audio perspective, you're a, your levels are a little lower than mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're is, highly animated, but... Yeah. but, but it's in the genes. It's in, yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, well, that would imply I got that from this from, from mom. your mother. But she's not this loud. Well, she's also got 
I was going to say a beard, but no, she doesn't. No, she doesn't at all. <laughs> Kidding. No. And you can't grow beards. No, I'm going to try and stay on track because, I mean, I did, do tend to go all over the shop. Yeah, as do I. Mm. Now, for those of you who are listening to Loose Units for the first time, uh, hello, welcome to this bizarre family that we've got right here. To those of you who are donating to the Loose Units Patreon, to those of you who follow us on Facebook and follow us on social media, to those of you who sent in questions, uh, I hope you're as excited as we are for this season. This is the first episode, so we won't waste too much time. But a question that I've had a few times, Dad, is what exactly is forensics? Like, okay, so just imagine you're from another planet and you land and somebody explains to you just the outline of what a cop is. What is forensics? Okay, well, let's imagine you you landed in a flying saucer. Yep. And when you landed, you actually squashed some humans. Sure. So... Kind of would have a bit of a crime scene happening. Sure. You didn't expect that answer, did you? <laughs> Shit, no, you, so, you got better at this. Thank you. So, I mean, I think we should point out to the audience and to all the amazing people out there that this is 100% unrehearsed. Yeah, we don't script anything. Nothing. Nothing. It's totally live and Paul actually has no idea what I'm going to say. Yeah, if you go back and listen to season one, there was this lovely moment during the episode called Smugglers, which is my personal favourite episode, where you told me a story about something that happened to you and mum mm. after the police force. Mm. And I was so floored, I had to go for a walk to process what you told me. That no, was pretty amazing. And we want to maintain that kind of... So mm. a lot of the times, listeners, when you hear a story and you react very viscerally to it and you kind of like are reeling, I'm doing that too mm. in the studio but with Paul, you. Paul, can we get back to the spaceship? Don't... don't so, in a nutshell, yeah. um, I won't do the visual nutshell. Nut. Well, it wouldn't translate. <laughs> Correct. So, imagine that the spaceship landed, killed a few people, and then pissed off. So, the, the local police come in and see all these squashed people Dad, on the I, road. Hang on, hang on. I appreciate the metaphor, but just so you know, in the metaphor, we're in the spaceship. So, hang on. <laughs> you can't explain how a crime scene works. No, no, no. I am no, because we've already left. No, we weren't on. The, we weren't in the spaceship. No, you I'm said just, imagine you're in a spaceship. Oh, but I mean, you know, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So hang on, are we sticking around? Maybe. Okay. Okay, but the point is that the local police would be confronted with a particular crime or a scene of, mm. of death and destruction. Yeah. They would call in forensics, and forensics' job would be to try and piece together, uh, for example, the, the tire prints on some of the. Um, cadavers from yeah. the wheels on the little spaceship. Okay, now you're implying that the spaceship has wheels. Yes. What, like, like <laughs> what do you think? a flat? No, this is a futuristic spaceship. It's yeah. meant to look metal feet. Yeah. Paul, can we just stay on track? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and then say some of the bodies were unidentifiable. Uh-huh. So then forensics also would be involved in the identification of the bodies that visually you'd find it difficult to identify. Like, you know, if, if a member of the, the family of one of the deceased was looking down and said, I, I just can't recognise that particular person as my son or daughter. Sure. Um, then forensics again, when the body was conveyed or, or the remnants uh, put into a bag mm. and then taken to a morgue, yeah. then um, forensic work would start. And obviously when I was in forensics, we didn't have DNA. Right. Even though weirdly... The DNA, the evidence, because we kept a lot of the samples uh-huh. from crime scenes. They're still kept in warehouses. Sure. And that's why today with um, DNA, they're starting to, you know, solve cold cases right. from, from years and years and years ago when we didn't have that. It was like you kind of knew that in the future there'd be this amazing technology that would that would enable one. Am I? No, no, it makes sense. You know how Walt Disney had his head frozen? It's like Correct. that. Yeah. On the assumption that one day mm. someone will have the tech to make it work. Amazing, but that, that ain't going to happen with Walt. I don't know. No, not a chance. So that's 
that's interesting, but and they use a lot of different services. They use fingerprints, DNA, um, you know, just sort of collecting minute evidence, putting together a whole lot of scientific um, information, and then coming up with, if they can, um, sort of adding to the case and helping them solve it. Right, but as far as I'm aware. Forensics is very science-driven. Yeah, you have to have a, like a, an innate understanding, a learned understanding of how the body works, how decomposition works. Mm, mm. As a patrol officer, which you were, how the hell do you then segue into a way more scientific granular field? Do you Did you have to undergo training? All on the job. But that's completely different today. Today, there are degrees in... Um What's that word I'm looking for? I feel like forensics. Have, I feel like you would have failed you know, straight forensics, off. Forensics, um, and it's all, and I, and I'm, I'm quite. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty well positive that in that at least the New South Wales Police Force, mm. all the, uh, the scientific, you know, people that are involved in that section are all university trained, and and they're not police officers. But sure. in the day, it was on the job training. Where mm. as a as a junior constable, um, I was very fortunate to have an opportunity to work at Chatswood. Ah, and yes. It was called, and it used to be called Scientific. Right. So it was Chatswood Scientific, and I managed to score a job as a young constable. Uh, my position there was called Relieve and Assist. That sounds weird. Yeah. But back then it meant to come in, and if someone was away, you'd sort of fill their role to, keep, to keep the numbers up. In, fill in, their, fill in, their role in Scientific or just in any department? No, in Scientific. Uh, there was a particular job called Relieve and Assist, Chatswood yep. Scientific. And, you know, it was there were lots of people that applied and I obviously impressed the people that were interviewing. Yeah. And, um, and I got the gig. So talk me through this because one of the great things uh, about the, you know, the patrol years and about the book was that I had a real sense of place about the academy uh, and about North Sydney Police Station, which you can still go to. Mm, um, mm. Could you describe this, this building that you were working okay, in? Okay, well, it was attached to Chatswood Police Station, which sure. was in another division north of where where I was at North Sydney. Yeah, was it weird uh, changing stations? Did you get any? I mean, is there a certain kind of allegiance to uh, where you started? Well, it was weird because they were in a little cottage out the back of the station, like an actual freestanding cottage. But it, one of the great things about it, which was weird for me, is that it was plain clothes work. Oh. So that was my first foray into plain clothes. And when you're in plain clothes, or at least when I was in the job, you felt kind of special. You felt, I won't say superior, because that sounds as though, you know, I'm a wanker. Anyone in plain clothes in the New South Wales Police Force, and for that matter, probably any police force, at least in Australia, that you, I mean, it was, when you were in uniform, generally one aspired, or at least a lot of people I knew, aspired to get into plain clothes. Right. It was like a step up. And you had that anonymity, like you still carry a gun, but you got around in unmarked cars and it was just Oh, it's different. Miami Vice. Yeah, well, it was great because, you know, you're driving along. You're still a police officer. Yeah. Like you don't just sort of go, well, now I'm in forensics. I'm not actually a policeman. You've still got all the same powers. You, If you see something horrendous happen, you could if you wanted to. You could either A, get involved or B, mm. um, perhaps look the other way. Okay, um, I have a question for you. When you're a patrol officer and you're on duty and you're, you're in the uniform... Mm. And you finish a shift, you take the uniform off and you're not a cop anymore. Having that thing there to delineate when you are and aren't a police officer mm. is obviously fairly useful. Mm. And it's useful for the community because, you know, it's good to know where the police are. Correct. Was there ever a time where you were technically not on duty, but because you're an off-duty police officer, those lines blurred and you felt like you could actually still behave like a cop? Like, did those lines ever get a little bit fuzzy for you? No, and um, I've been out of the police force for a long, long time. Right. Um, 
but I still like I was up in we, we live up in King's Cross which mm. is a fairly notorious red light and and there, I've got some great King's Cross forensic particularly horrific stories that, right. that pertain to that that area which was a, a tough place back in the 80s sure and um, I uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was this incident while we were having lunch, and it was pretty pretty bad. And 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 it was and the police were called. And it's really weird. You you always kind of this this mechanism internal mechanism inside you just switches on, and you kind of revert back to this police mode, so to speak. Right. I know that's even though you're not a policeman anymore, it's so it becomes so ingrained in your psyche that you know, and it's very difficult to to switch on switch off. Because it's a part of you know you can't be super observant and and observe minute um, detail and then all of a sudden not be like that. So it tends to become a part of your muscle memory. Correct. Sure. Um, I, um, as you know, I always take notes. Yes, you do. And um, prior to um, sitting down, and, and you don't know what I'm going to talk about, do you? No, I don't. Which is great. Some would say it's irresponsible because mm. I can't vet anything. True, true, true. <laughs> it's funny you use the word vet because that pertains to the little I, I i took these these notes and it says and i'll read what i wrote it said do i really or did i really see that now i, I needed to say that at the at the beginning of this entire season okay because the stories that i'm going to tell i when i was preparing my notes in terms of just little headlines for each episode yeah some of the stories are to the listeners going to appear and sound completely unbelievable okay so I don't know. Last season we did go some pretty weird places. You're saying it's going to be more weirder, so? weirder, okay. totally much weirder. Weird but, is always. But good. can I just say that mm. I want to tell a little. It's an anecdote. Sure. About something that I look back and what I'd like to say to everyone out there is that we all have little things in our life that you've seen, and then you look back and you go, you know what? Did I really see that? Was I really there? Mm. So here's the story. It's a tiny, quick snippet. Okay. One night. Many, many years ago, it was a hot summer's night. I'm sitting in my car underneath the Harbour Bridge and there's a wall to my right, which is about, let's say, 50 feet high. Yeah. It's an old convict-built stone wall. What side of the bridge is this? The rock this side? This is on the rock side. Okay, so because um, when you said under the bridge, I thought maybe you'd driven into the water and you were floating under the no, bridge. No, 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 no. I was sitting in a car just just sort of chilling. Great. And, you, and just when, when in time... Is this is this this is during your forensics years? I assume. Yeah, this is in the uh, in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, uh, give us a rough Say year. Perhaps nineteen eighty five, eighty six. Good year. And um, I'm just sort of looking out the window of my vehicle, mm. and I see a stick flying through the air. You with me? Yeah. And I thought that's weird, and it came from way, 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 way up high and it had gone over the wall this stick and just to give people a picture i think i know where you're talking about the gulf between the road and the bridge is catastrophically massive high. like it's, it's really high and the thing yeah, about yeah, the yeah. rocks is that like the rocks and sydney in, tip, in particular do altitude you know what i mean melbourne's mm. beautiful but it's very flat mm. that part of sydney is huge huge like just the so i think i th i'm worried i know what you're gonna say well i'll tell you what happened after the stick can you guess what happened a dog came flying through the air. Are you with me? So picture this. Yep. There's a park that I couldn't see 50 feet up on the other side of the wall and yep. there's a beautiful park and this guy has decided to throw a stick that the dog, of course, would chase and yep. retrieve. Yep. So the stick goes over the wall and is sort of 
falling and then all of a sudden and I, I'm just sitting there thinking this cannot be real and this is why I'm telling this little story. The dog came over the wall and it it's sort of realising, I could see the dog realising, you know, that it, ha it had a, a major problem in that it was going to hit the road in front of me and obviously it was going to die. Now, all this wouldn't have gone through the dog's mind probably, but it went through my mind and I sat there and the dog splattered in front of me and then I looked up and the, the owner came. He didn't jump over with the dog, you'll be pleased to know, but he just leant on this wall and looked down to see his dog and to see and realise what he'd done. He'd thrown a stick over a 50-foot drop. The dog had sweetly, as it had done in the past, followed the stick to its death. And I tell that little story to, the, to you and the listeners because that is a story... That is an incident that I witnessed, but even to this very day, I question whether or not it really happened because it's so bizarre. Okay, let's pick it apart a little bit. Um, first of all, last season of Loose Units, Dad told a story where he tried to drive uh, around a possum. He saw a possum on the road and tried to kind of like like pass over it harmlessly to impress, uh, I believe, a, a young girl who was working mm. with you, a country yep. officer. Yep. And you actually just destroyed this animal. Mm. The amount of listeners who rightfully so were disgusted with you. They were. They were very upset. Really I... upset. So I just want to flag this as a moment in time where you've taken the first episode of our much lauded second season and told the story about a dog flying through the air and exploding in front mm. of you. No, but... no, no, Dad, what you don't seem to understand is that people will watch movies where men, women and children die en masse and they don't blink an eye. But the second you kill the dog, people walk out of the cinema. People hate dogs dying more than anything in the world. And dogs, are, dogs are basically perfect creatures. So what I'm saying is, have you done that? Have you made people turn off the show? No, 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 no. No, I just wanted to. Look, it's a, because it's a surreal event. Well, I mean, you, let's, I go, mean let's go back to the realism of it. What did you do afterwards? What, like, you're an off-duty officer, yeah? Mm, yeah. You're sitting there, an animal has cruised through the air and plummeted to its death in mm. front of your car. Yep. You can see the guy who technically did it. What do you do? Um, I got out of the car. Oh, good. Good. Um, I made sure the dog had passed away. Right. In that it, it, it was pretty, pretty crook. I think pretty crook is a generous. Mm. I don't want to, I'm not, let's don't focus on, on the dog. I think you focused on the dog yeah, and but, now we're all with you. No, but the analogy being, of course, that in life you see things that, and then after the event and years later you go, you know what? And you start to sort of doubt. <laughs> You're not fucking Rudyard Kipling. This isn't Aesop's fables. It's not, this isn't some metaphor. You just told the story. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at the dead dog. No, that was I, sad. No, no, what I'm You know, I went on to. You know that I used to show dogs, don't you? I know you did. I don't tell many people. I know. Because we'll, we'll that's to... moderately embarrassing. Well, because we watch Best in Show and you kind of slunk into the couch. We'll deal with that in a future episode. What I want to ascertain is like how you deal with something this awful off-duty. So you've gotten out of the car, checked the dog. Did you? Do you remember talking to the owner? No, 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 because that would have involved shouting up to him because he was a fair... He was very high up and it would have taken him ages to get down. So I just... I would like to think at some point he would come down. No, he probably did, but I didn't hang around. I found it all rather... Bizarre. Is it a crime what he did? Definitely not. Why not? He killed the dog. He loved his dog. Yeah, but like he killed the dog. 
Is it like the a... dog? He didn't act well. Look, that's a that's a legal point there. But you're a policeman. It's your job. Yeah, but I, I one has to. Your heart goes out to him. Sure. So you sat there. The you put your fingers in the slush, and then you went. You know what? It's dead. I should probably go. I wouldn't want to hang around because I mean, this is not. We're trying to set you up as the hero. <laughs> Speaking about sticking your finger in the slush, can I just say that? We once found some bones uh-huh. on duty yep. and we had to take the bones yep. to the Martyr Hospital. Yep. We had to have a doctor come out with a stethoscope to pronounce life extinct. That's a true story. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, it was patently obvious that this, you this couldn't, the bones were well and truly dead. You couldn't give it a once over. No, but legally speaking, our life had to be pronounced extinct. So by... if the bones had like leapt, like assembled themselves necromancy style and traipsed out of the room, I mean, that would have been egg on your face. Correct. Sure. But isn't that weird when you think about it, taking bones to have them? Now, the guy, the doctor clearly didn't take a stethoscope out and hold it to the femur, for example. He didn't put two fingers on the wrist bone and Correct. listen for a few yeah. minutes but, to but, get but, the but pulse rate. But, but, but isn't that fascinating? There's a bit of, you know, bizarre trivia about about what happens when you find bones. Uh-huh. Well, if any listeners have found bones, please uh, send us a message. We'd love to hear from mm. you. Now, I think it's time to start with a story. I'd like to point out that this episode is now about 20 minutes long. We have well and truly started. And let me tell you something, Dad. I am worried about the reception uh, with which we are going to be met for the uh, for the dog story. So I would like to just quickly sidebar 
into something. We have been, I, I grew up uh, with a lot of different dogs. Mm. We, we had like all kinds of different pets. We had a yeah. Bernese mountain dog. We had Staffies. My favorite Staffie was a Staffie called Yoda. Um, mm. So named because he had big pointy ears. That yep. was, Yoda was great. My mm. favorite dog. Mm. Um, you mentioned that you love dogs so much. You were showing dogs. Yep. Yep. I think it's important because now that we've established the police side of you, just to quickly counteract that horrifying dog story mm. with a good dog story. So, okay, I've got a great dog story. Yeah, great. We had a uh, we had a lot of dogs. We had German Shepherds, Staffies, uh, Belgian Shepherd. Oh, right. Uh, which are a weird, bizarre kind of. They use them to uh, retrieve cadavers in avalanches. Hey, that's in... actually on point. That's on topic. Okay, but the yeah. thing is, they're very immature for quite a few years. Right. Uh, but a, a dog that we did have that was quite a weird breed is called a Great Pyrenees. Now, these were bred to guard the nuns in the Pyrenees Mountains uh -huh. up in the monasteries. Who is after nuns? Look, anyway, Paul, just on stay on point for just a sec. Sure. This is a story that this dog was so massive. And what, what inadvertently we'd done, we had a trampoline. Yeah. You recall the trampoline? Oh, vividly. And yeah. the dog would... would Jump up onto the trampoline. It was huge. Mm. If anyone would like to Google Great Pyrenees, they'll see it's a massive dog. The trampoline in the middle would almost touch the ground. It was such a massive dog. Yeah. When this dog used to defecate, I literally had to bring in a bobcat to just shovel the extraordinary quantities of, of, of stuff. Now, we happen, to, we happen to live upstairs with no bobcat access, so I know that's not true. Mm. So I had to use a massive shovel. That okay. was a nightmare. You downgraded just, from... It cost so much money to feed that thing. <laughs> it did, Anyway, yeah. and it had this long white mane. Mm. It looked like something out of Never Ending Story. It looked like Falcor, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we once, and once only, took it to have it... Um, uh, no, no, uh, you know, groomed. Oh, yeah, sure. And we had this car. It was a Datsun 180B, and the dog was in the back. So I took it up. They spent about an hour grooming it. Yep. And it was a once, first and last time, because it was pretty expensive. And it was up in um, a suburb, up in the mountains, in the northern beaches. Yeah. And um, when I picked the dog up, <clears throat> I put the dog in the back of the car. Have you heard this story? No. Well, this is quite extraordinary. Was I there? I must no, have No, 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 no. Okay. It was just me and the dog. <laughs> sure. And we're driving home, me and the dog, and... I'm doing about 60 kilometres an hour. This is, again, this is a, such a true story and it's it's so bizarre. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just cruising along at 60 kilometres an hour and I, I, I became aware that there was something outside the car and I looked down onto the road and travelling at the same speed as me and the car was the dog. It had jumped out the window and it was rolling down the road at 60 kilometres an hour. Rolling or running? No, rolling. Rolling? You can't run at 60 kilometres an hour. It Hang was, on. It jumped out of the window, out of the back, and just started like a massive snowball. And I'm looking, and, I'm, and I quickly pulled over, and then I was in complete shock. The dog just stood up and acted as though nothing had happened, and I opened the back door, and the yeah. dog just hopped back in. And we went home. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? What was the dog's name? Um, you're going to need to remember the name shit, I can't. or you're going to look like a monster. No, I can't remember. I know we had a, was it Bronson? Was this Bronson? Maybe. We had, we had a, I thought we had a, um, a Bernese mountain dog called Bronson. Not Bernese. Pyrenees? The Great Pyrenees. Yeah, this is Bronson. Okay, cool. Bronson was a great dog. Yeah. Anyway, we had, a... to, we had to get rid of Bronson. Why? Because we, uh, we didn't have enough room for, sure. for Bronson. Now when you, okay, so Bronson's gone, but yep. Bronson apparently is very resilient. 
Is that a good story or? It's not a bad story. Yeah. It's a weird story. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to make you sound a bit negligent, but whatevs. Okay. Um, well, I just thought that was an important sidebar um, just to counteract mm. the stressfulness of, yeah. of the other dog story. Yeah. No, I, we, I love dogs. I love dogs too. Yeah. In fact, if we weren't living in an apartment, we'd probably mm. have one anyway. They're beautiful. So, okay. You had a story that you wanted to share before we wrap this episode yep, up. Yep, yep, yep. So look, this is a, this is again. This is we're we're really getting into the into the dark side, mm. the underbelly of of Sydney. Um, so I'm going to start off with my first. I've given it a lot of thought as to what should be the the lead story. Yeah. Um, and then it's all downhill from there. Like uh, from like here. with a, like a rolling dog. Mm, correct. So, all right. Let me set the scene. King's Cross. Yep. Um, there was uh, uh, one of the underworld figures, uh, Abe Saffron. Oh, owned... and now Abe was featured in uh, The Girl on the Balcony last season. Really? Yeah, remember there was The Girl on the Balcony who saw that stuff happen to her? Oh, yeah, that was heavy. Dad, yeah. yeah but Abe, yeah. now was Abe the one who was... He basically owned a lot of the nightclubs in um, in King's Cross. So he owned a lot of uh, nefarious uh, clubs, strip clubs, all those sort of places. Yeah. And one of the places that he owned back in the uh, 70s was called The Persian Room. Okay. Now, you haven't heard this story, Paul, so just come with me on the journey. Sure. Because uh, it's pretty intense. So what ha- what used to happen is that a lot of these clubs employed bouncers. Now, mm. we all know what bouncers are. Um, you know, they got the, the, I think they've changed a little bit uh, in, in, in terms of perhaps their, um, you know, they, they cut a bit more slack in, in this day and age. But back in the day, yeah. so if you were in, um, at a nightclub in the 70s and 80s in King's Cross and you were rowdy, and you got carried away, you would be thrown out of the club. Now, some of these clubs had two ways of throwing you out. They'd either throw you out the front door, Mm -hmm. which was out onto Darlinghurst Road, which is sort of the middle of the cross where all the action is, or if you were particularly uh, troublesome, they would take you out the back. Now, at the back of uh, the Persian room... No witnesses. Exactly. Mm. And on this particular occasion, they are being too... um, bounces of so they were massive massive guys but i mean they could have just thrown the guy out and that would have been the end of it but they could have used their fists and pulverized him to within an inch of his life and that would have been it but no no these particular bouncers who were um particularly vicious they decided to use a baseball bat on this guy's face jesus okay so uh, in in the first season did i swear you swore a little bit. I think you generally kept the F-bombs down, but you definitely said shit. Cool, cool. Well, they really, really went to work. You can, say what you, you can say what you want to well, say. Well, they, they, they really fucked him over okay. badly. Now, after they'd completely beaten the shit out of this particular guy, mm. they then... I mean, we're talking near murder. Sure. He was just alive. Yeah. And then they... Um, Got rid of the baseball bats. So that's two big guys using two bats on one guy's face. So it's hard to imagine, but I'm going to try and paint a bit of a picture because I guess you might be thinking, well, well, how did I get involved? At, at the time, I was working in the Central Fingerprint Bureau. Now, fingerprints... Uh, that's, that's a part of forensics. Sure. You know, it's a whole section and it's an amazing section. So this is a few years into forensics for you? Correct. Yeah, yeah. okay. And uh, I was, I, I'd been in charge of my area that particular week. I uh, was the eastern suburbs. Mm. So I was in charge of pretty well every crime that went down in the eastern suburbs. And it was, believe you me, you know, back in the day, you know, I was attending up to, say, 15 jobs a day. 
I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. And I was coming back to uh, the Central Fingerprint Bureau, which was in Liverpool Street, and I got a call um, over VKG yep. saying, would I be able to attend St. Vincent's Hospital? And that's pretty well all the info that I had. So we paint the scene. I arrive at the hospital. I'm in plain clothes and I'm wearing a dust jacket. So I look like a sort of a sort of a, a, a lab technician, you could say. Yeah. And um, I had my fingerprint gear with me. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, what, what on earth is this going to entail? And I was met by a number of medical staff at St. Vincent's and they took me up to intensive care. Mm-hmm. And the scene that I was confronted with was um, uh, a lady with a couple of kids. And I now know that that particular lady was this particular guy. This is the guy that's been bashed. Yeah. Uh, this was his wife and these were his kids. Oh, and there were a couple of family members um, sort of standing around the bed and there were quite a few medical staff. And this guy, so now I'm going to describe what I saw. I saw a guy, his face looked like uh, a pizza supreme. Like it was pretty... It, it, when I first saw this guy... I mean, I couldn't recognise him. I, I knew he was human, but he, 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 you know, he had all the things like nose, mouth, eyes, but they're all in the wrong place. That's what happens when you get bashed. And this was a really bad bashing. And he was on life support. Now, he had identification on him that told uh, the police who he was, but he was so badly bashed that no one actually really knew who he was. Can no. you imagine that? That's fucked up. So the wife, the kids, and then I had to do something that I found quite depressing at the time. I had to fingerprint the guy. Right. Um, so I asked that we sort of put the curtains around because I certainly didn't want the wife and the kids to see me fingerprinting this particular person that I could only assume was his father yeah. or their father. Mm. And there's a technique we use um, to get fingerprints off. Well, it's the same technique I used that day to get fingerprints off a living person is the same technique we use to get fingerprints off a cadaver or a deceased person and it involves you get the fingerprint form and you fold it and you put it you slide it through like this it's sort of like a a piece of copper that's cup shaped and it's called a morgue spoon i mean tell me that's not creepy that's pretty necromantic yeah yeah. so and then you you have to ink his um fingers so i had to kind of clean his fingers because he was still had a lot of blood on him and he had bits of glass in his fingers because he'd fallen and been bashed out in a back lane of King's Cross where there was broken glass. Yeah. So he'd, he'd received a lot of... And he'd also uh, had defensive wounds where he'd been putting his fingers and hands naturally. When you start to get bashed, you try and protect your face as the baseball blows are coming down. So he had a lot of broken fingers. And I'm confronted with this nightmare situation. It's heavy duty. So I had to try and get fingerprints as best I could and I had to get 10 prints of all the, you know, thumbs, etc. So when I managed to get... Um, so I'm inking this poor guy. I mean, it was not, not something for, for the public to see and certainly not something for the family to see. And I'm just sort of, you know, I'm in my mid-20s. I've got a family. You're born, Anne's... Um, you and Anna are at home and Christine's at home and, you know, it's and there am I dealing in this pretty horrendous situation. And this is basically the story that I'm telling you is, A, this is just the tip of the iceberg for what you're all going to hear. The story's 
some of them are going to be far worse than this, believe it or not. Mm. And this is what happens to people that are involved in forensics. This is If you're working in forensics, this is what you do on a daily basis. It's fucked up. So what I then had to do, and this is the weird part of the story, we knew that the coroner, because he was going to die, he was, so he was being kept oh, he was alive. Going to, he was going to die. He was on life support. So he was totally not communicative. They kept him alive until we could officially identify him. Now, he was tattooed, and in, in my observations, I gleaned that he probably had a criminal record. Right. So my job then, when I had the fingerprints, I got out of there, I right, went the back database. to the office, yeah. and I went back and I, did a, I, and I had to manually um, uh, examine each fingerprint under a glass, uh-huh. and I had to then come up with all the, the different codings, and um, I then came up with... Um, you know, a pattern. Mm. Then I went to the Grand Central Fingerprint Bureau, which has millions and millions and millions of fingerprints on on file. And I was going through, 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 and then I pulled it out. I got a match. And then with that match, we knew who he was. Who was he? He was a sort of a a guy with a criminal record. Do you remember what he did? What he did? Look, just minor, minor shit. But it was good in a way that he actually was known because there are other things you can do which we'll go into in other stories, mm. other ways of identifying people. And then um, I, f- I called uh, through to the hospital and they turned the life support off. That's it. So if you've got proof of who he is, I assume what happens then? It's not your job as a, as a forensics person to then follow the lead and find out who did it and persecute them, is it? It's, no, it's not. But did you ever, like what happened to the two bouncers? Nothing. What do you mean Nothing. No, it was all swept under. I, no, they beat a guy. They literally killed a guy. Doesn't matter. Back in the eighties, you know, shit happens. But they killed a guy. Well, yeah, but that's you know, these things happened. But what? Like, okay, isn't it bad for business for that to happen? I, I, okay. I, I don't think that story made the media. You, you've got to appreciate also that, you know, when I was in the police force, and I think we touched on this in season one, is that the, the police decide what is going to be for press. The police uh, have a media room, yeah. and every morning, seven days a week, the media meet in the room, and the police tell them what has happened in the preceding 24 hours. Yeah, good friend so of ours. this is not mentioned, Yeah, yeah. it's not reported on. So... So does that not make you angry though as a cop? Of course it does, but you know King there's there was the New South Wales Police Force yeah. and then there was King's Cross Darlinghurst. Yeah. So the, it's it's like another universe. It's tricky with King's Cross because nowadays because of the idiotic lockout laws it's basically been drained of its nightlife and it doesn't you know it's like it's a it's unrecognizable. But back mm. then it truly was like an insane place. Yeah. Even in the 90s I think mm. it was still like that. Well, you know, I was up in the cross I don't know whether I mentioned this to you about did I tell you the little story a few months ago or even perhaps four or five weeks ago where um, in the main street of King's Cross where there used to be Harley Davidsons yeah. with the Comancheros, Banditos, the Hells Angels, now there are Vespers. <laughs> true story. Sure. No, that's true. That's bizarre. Instead of slinging meth, they're slinging art, artisanal Italian scarves around their perfectly It's, it's, it's a changed place. Necks. Yeah, it's, it's, but, it's crazy. But, but might I say, for people that live in the area, Much it's nice. kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Gentrification is a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, well, that was... An I don't want to... I, it's, it seems... I, I apologise to the listeners that we ended on such a sort of a... Kind of a bit of a sad note. No, However, no. just yeah. be warned that mm. we're going into places far, far 
darker and murkier than that. Yes, we are. And it's going to be an absolutely huge season. Typically speaking on the show, we will actually be um, answering listener questions. But as a first episode, we wanted to just focus on some of this stuff. And what we've done is kind of flash forward a little bit. Next episode, we're going to go back to the very beginning of forensics and kind of go through, you know, things like fingerprints and really get granular. But before we finish this inaugural episode of season two of Loose Units. I just wanted to um, thank a few people. I wanted to thank Derek Myers, who runs Castaway Studios, where we actually record the podcast. I wanted to thank my wife, Tegan Higginbotham, for essentially running things behind the scenes, running the social media channels and helping with production and doing all that stuff. And I want to thank Dad for being amazing. Uh, And don't forget to save the date. This is huge news. We are hosting a very special live Loose Units show on Friday the 31st of August at the TOF in town uh, in Melbourne. Ticket information will be available online next week. And if you haven't read Loose Units yet, head to Big W Online or penguin.com.au. But just a heads up, if you go to Big W Online and buy the book, it's much cheaper. So it's totally worth doing. Uh, Loose Units is proudly presented by Pillow Talk Productions. We will see you next week for another episode. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.